It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. Here are your hosts, Brent Hollerud and Andrew Smith. Welcome back to episode three of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. I am Andrew Smith, the broadcast voice of the Fuel, joined by Brent Hollerud, the Fuel's director of marketing slash Twitter guy slash emergency backup goaltender. And we... It's been a few years since I've had that job title. I yeah. think I'm... But no. You're in semi-retirement as the e-bug now. It's, uh, but the Fuel right now enter this weekend coming up against the Cincinnati Cyclones. They are uh, five, four, zero, oh, and zero oh overall, and two and two last week. Probably their busiest week of the year, as they split two games at home with Pacific, excuse me, Mountain Division teams in Idaho and Utah. Really impressive victory over Utah as they handed the Grizzlies their first regulation loss of the year, and then uh, went on the road and played at Fort Wayne and at Wheeling, and ended up splitting those two games as well, falling in Fort Wayne and then heading down to Wheeling and. Much like in game two of the season against Kalamazoo, exploding for five goals in the second period and winning that game five to three against the Wheeling Nailers. And that's given the fuel this five and four mark, uh, coming into a fairly busy stretch here as we've got a home and home coming up with the Cincinnati Cyclones this weekend on November 9th at the uh, U.S. Bank Arena in Cincinnati, and then Saturday the 10th at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. And then it's back to the road for three games at Utah, the one really big Western road trip of the year for the Fuel coming up. But it's been a solid start as the Fuel have faced all of their division foes, plus facing uh, Idaho and Utah, so they've gone uh, cross-divisional a little bit here early. But it's a team that's kind of had to deal with a little bit of adversity because there have been a lot of call-ups as Rockford has had a number of uh, injuries as well. So they've dipped down into the fuel roster. And, and matter of fact, last weekend, you look at uh, a guy like Neil Manning. He ended up playing four consecutive games in as many days because he played the 3-3 three and three with the fuel against Utah, Fort Wayne, and Wheeling, and then got called up to Rockford and then was playing a day game on Sunday against the Iowa Wild for the uh, for the Ice Hawks. So... It's been a lot of hockey for these guys, and especially uh, a lot of guys playing both for the American Hockey League team and also with the Fuel. So it's uh, been a little bit of a roster juggle and a lineup juggle for Coach Bernie John, but the Fuel really have gotten off to a nice start, and now we're kind of hitting that stride in the middle of the season where we're starting to see teams two and three times, and uh, that starts this weekend with the renewal of the I-74 rivalry. No, I think uh, looking at back at week four, I think you really got to see kind of the ECHL schedule kind of bare its teeth a little bit. Um, looking into the first or looking back to the first few weeks of the season, you have two games the first week, just a Friday, Saturday, another Friday, Saturday, and then just an odd um, standalone Saturday game in Kansas City. You follow that up with playing four games in five nights, and you finish that with a three and three in uh, three different cities. Um, it's definitely a lot of hockey in a short period of time. And for a roster that was also dealing with some, some call-ups, some roster juggling, um, like the fuel were, um, you obviously you want to be, you want to win every time you hit the ice, but looking at the, the teams they played, the kind of the, the situation, I think two and two is a very respectable outcome from that week, especially when you're looking at the, the games they won a huge win against a very strong Utah team that they'll see a lot more of uh, next week. Um, and then kind of a gutsy performance um, against a wheeling team where, um, I mean, I, you, ne- you never want to kind of go into a game thinking of potential, um, like ex- I don't want to say excuses, but um, scenarios. When we were going into that Saturday night game in wheeling, a few were playing game four in five days. Wheeling, on the other hand, they hadn't played since the following or the past Sunday. I think they had a full six days of rest. They were only they were playing game six of the season. Few were playing game ten, and it was their home nine, opener. And it was their home opener. So um, you got one team that on paper looks like you just had a couple call ups. Guys are going to be tired. You just got handed a, a tough loss. Than, the previous night in Fort Wayne, who also was a team that was um, definitely, you knew they were going to get their, 
they're going to have their bounce back game eventually after starting one and five. And unfortunately it was with Indian town. Um, and now fast forward, that team's won three straight and they're looking to be the same um, formidable opponent that um, we're all used to in the central division. But you go into Wheeling and you end up uh, Wheeling gets out to a quick two nothing lead in the first period. And then all of a sudden your, your offense just kind of explodes in the second period and you, five goals in a span of nine and a half minutes blows that game wide open and you're able to finish the the season with your your first road win of the year and just a big big win to kind of stabilize things come back um from a long road trip um with two extra points and some more confidence and this team is right where i think fans hope they would be and where i i think uh bernie john hopes his team would be uh, a lot of a lot of positive things to take from how this team has looked so far. I think a few things. Number one, this team is explosive. That is the second time this year the Fuel have scored five goals in a period, both times in the second period. And it's I happened think... three times overall in the ECHL. Um, are, there's been three games where a team has scored five goals in a period. Indy has two of those cases. And both of the times for the Fuel have been in the second period, and I think that says something about the depth of this team because it's the long change period in every building except Fort Wayne when the first and third periods are the long change periods for the visiting team just because the benches are across from each other but it's the long change period and because of that a lot of times it's not as matchup based uh, especially once you get into the flow of the game and as a result that's where your depth and your talent can really uh, show through especially if you get a line on the ice against a defensive group that either because of an icing or because you've had a good cycle kind of gets maybe the wrong defensive pairing out there. And it's you can exploit that a little bit more, and I think that shows the depth of this team and how many weapons they have up front. But one of those guys that's been playing really well so far is Josh Shalla. He has scored a point in all nine Fuel games this season, four goals and ten assists, and he had a goal and two assists against his former team last uh, Saturday night. Is uh, he had a really big game in that five goal second period against the Nailers? Now Josh Allen, now the all time leading, he was the all time leading goal scorer coming into the season. He has now changed goal to just overall point scorer. Um, Josh Allen passed Alex Weidman's mark of 103 points in a fuel uniform on, during that three point performance on Saturday. And yeah, he's been. Um, he described it himself uh, earlier this week as just kind of being sneaky points where it's not kind of like he's had the a couple two goal outings already, but it's not just kind of the explosive like like Patrick four point games that we've seen from him in the past. It's kind of just um, under the radar, a lot of like secondary assists, like primary assists, just like steady, consistent play from him that I think uh I mean, as long as he's putting points on the board, Indy is going to be in good shape moving forward. But going back to what you said about the way the Fuel have used just their offensive as or their offenses kind of scored in bunches, the way they've done that, scoring multiple goals in just minute spans, is a testament to how deep this team is up front. Where you have one line scores, and all of a sudden it's not the next time that line comes back up, like four or five minutes later. It's the next shift with the next unit. They're able to pop in another one, and it's really, um, I just this team has so many offensive weapons up front that um, when they get clicking, like that can happen. But at the same time, you've seen kind of it go both ways for the fuel, where um, and some of the the games where they struggled. Um, in that game in Kansas City, the game against uh, Idaho, they you saw them give up the goals in short succession. So um, it's definitely, I, I think when you're looking at the game plan, you, you don't really account for one team or the other scoring four goals in a span of five, six minutes. But that seems to have happened in a few times, both, both for and against the fuel. So that's definitely something to look forward to. And I know that um, the team has been working uh, – hard in practice to try to dial in and make sure that they're constantly in control of the flow of the game and that you're not kind of uh, facing a, a quick rally from your opponent. Well, we look at the this team right now, so far through nine games, 10 different players have at least two goals, 12 different players have at least four points. And uh, that really says a lot for the depth of this squad. 
Another thing the Fuel have really hung their hat on in recent years is special teams. And again, the power play has been excellent here as they've scored at least once on the power play in four of their last six games coming into the week. And that was really the thing that propelled the Fuel into the playoffs last season as they had the number one power play in the ECHL. Penalty killing has also been pretty solid so far, but eight power play goals in nine games. And again, the Fuel in that upper third in the ECHL and in the power play. But also the other side of that, Utah came in here last Thursday night. Indy ended up winning that game 4-1. to one. one big reason why is Utah came in 35.7% on the power play. And if my memory serves me correctly, they were 0-7 for 7 that night with the man advantage and really didn't have a whole lot of good looks on the power play because the fuel penalty killing unit was so good. And added four shorthanded, or they've added four shorthanded goals um, on that penalty kill so far this season. So um, that's definitely... you. Win and lose games by your special teams. Um, any coach will tell you that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you've seen it in the games where I think Idaho had a couple power play goals um, last Tuesday during their, when they um, were able to um, kind of take control of that game. But um, the field showed it over the last couple seasons and in the early um, portion of this season is when their power play is clicking, like it, it can take over a game. And the way uh, – I think you've noticed it league wide. There's a lot more of are the the officials are really cracking down on your slashing, your hooking, your your faceoff violations. So you're seeing a lot of games with teams having seven, eight, nine chances on the power play. So that just makes it that much more paramount for your special teams to able to hang on to the momentum of, the, of a game if you have a lead or being able to start chipping away if you're down by a few. Because there's been a lot of games so far where you don't see long stretches of five-on-five hockey for for almost periods at a time. The first period in Wheeling was a good example of that, where it was almost like a seesaw of penalties going one way to the other. So um, that just makes special teams that much more important with the way that um, the um, ECHL seems to be going this year with uh, the points of emphasis with the officials. And you look as well, the fuel have been good in net, Matt Tompkins, uh, we've seen a lot of growth from Tompkins from year one to year two in his professional career, and he had a really good uh, first week ECHL goaltender of the week, and then Kevin Lonkinen comes down uh, from Rockford as the uh, Blackhawks have a ton of depth in goal uh, throughout the organization, and so he uh, signed a contract with the Blackhawks in the off season and had put up some great numbers in Finland and now getting a taste of North American professional hockey. And he's looked very good so far. Two wins, four goals against in two games, uh, really uh, slowed down a wheeling attack that, as you mentioned, they were fresh. They had an early 2 nothing lead, and he kept his team in the game that allowed the fuel to have that outburst in the second period and come back and win against Utah. Really didn't see a lot of shots, but he stymied one of the better offenses in the league and uh, certainly one of the better lines in the league. That was the uh, first game in which Caleb Herbert, their uh, number one center in the league's leading scorer coming into that uh, weekend, uh, had not tallied a point. And a matter of fact, I believe it was the first game he had not scored a goal. And uh, that's a testament to the fuel defense, but also uh, Lonkin and making some big saves as well. And again, you've got that two-headed monster in goal, two really solid guys between the pipes. And then Jason Pulaski is a rookie that has made one appearance, but... He is uh, certainly getting used to the pro game as well and has had a lot of promise. He's had a lot of success at the amateur levels in junior. He was a Clark Cup MVP, uh, had a really good career at Mankato. And so he's uh, he's another guy in that mix as well. And so while thanks to some call-ups, the fuel have been a little bit thin up front because Rockford has had some injuries and uh, that's kind of taken some of the depth the fuel is still able to field a pretty solid lineup, and that's why you build that depth. Same thing in goal. And uh, Kevin Lonkinen's a bit of a bonus coming in uh, and making a couple of big starts. Yeah, I mean, it's it, every team deals with an ECHL where um, one, I know we were talking a couple weeks ago that it seemed like right after training camp, there was just a, a surplus of good, solid, serviceable players, and all of a sudden you have a few call-ups in a short span of time, and you're you're looking around, figuring out, or asking, are you going to have enough players to uh, field the full roster or not? But 
um, a, a great remedy to kind of um, keep things on the rails when kind of your roster is in flux is good goaltending. And that's kind of been the recipe for the fuel the last couple of years. Looking back to last year in the playoff run, you had the two-headed monster of Etienne Marcou and Matt Tompkins. And this year it looks like we have definitely the two Rockford goaltenders in Tompkins and Lonkinen that both look uh, plenty serviceable and they look like they can be two dominant goalies at this level. And then Pulowski, in case one of those two, you know what, between Lonkinen and Tompkins, someone's going to get a lengthy look in Rockford this season. Just that's kind of how how the, the the affiliation the leagues work. So when that chance comes, I uh Pulowski is def he's been kinda of waiting in the wings and getting his practice in and um I think when that chance comes it, it there's a reason he's still on the roster five five weeks in. He's he's being factored into the plans for this team. But going back to Lonkinen's kind of debut this last week, just just steady as they come. Um I think you mentioned the game in Utah. He only had 18 saves, but it was, I think any goalie will tell you that those are the tough games, especially mm-hmm. facing a, a high octane offense like Utah had. When you look at, um, I can count just from memory, a number of those saves came in odd man situations or he, I know he, he shut down. I think Caleb Herbert, one of the, I think he coming into that game last Thursday, he had scored an, each of Utah's games to that point, I think he got a breakaway in the second period and Lonkinen has to make a huge save to, I think at that time the game was either a a two, one game or one, one tie. So um, you look at the score sheet and you see a goalie who only has 18 saves and you're thinking, okay, that was kind of a quiet night for them, but that's when you have to be that much more dialed in mentally and being able to kind of, kind of bide your time when, when your team's controlling the puck in the other end, knowing that, the other team has so much offensive talent that they're going to get their looks. And that's also a huge credit to the fuel defenseman mm-hmm. where um, Lonkin makes the first save and the, the defense is able to take care of the second and third chance opportunities and kind of uh, limit any kind of secondary scoring opportunities that Utah had that night. Well, the fuel have the Cincinnati Cyclones coming in this weekend on Saturday night to the Indiana Farmers Coliseum for a 7.35 p.m. face-off. That will come after a 7.35 face-off in Cincinnati on Friday, the first of four meetings at U.S. Bank Arena between the Fuel and Cyclones, and these are number two and three of 12 meetings overall between these two teams. And we had a chance to chat with the Cyclones play-by-play broadcaster Everett Fitzhugh. Here is our conversation. First of all, the uh, Cyclones look like they've been playing some really good hockey here in the last couple of weeks as uh, points in seven of the last eight games and 6-2-2 two, and two coming into the weekend and a big win over Wheeling on Wednesday night. Just tell us a little bit about how this team has come together and really hit its stride in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, this team has really been been coming together nicely, and I think that you know, there's a few reasons for that. I, I think obviously the the biggest reason is when you you get a new coaching staff in here, different voices in there. Um, you know, guys kind of tend to, I guess, maybe want to play a little bit uh, a bit harder. You're getting used to them, so you're trying to show off and and in, in, in a good way. I mean, and, and make a good impact and not taking anything away from Matt McDonald. I mean, he definitely deserved his opportunity up in Grand Rapids and, you know, he did a fantastic job here in Cincinnati. And I think that, um, you know, it was exciting for both of our organizations, both for a, him going up there and getting his much deserved promotion, but also here to, you know, get some new blood in here to get a new voice in here. And, you know, it's been, it's been a really good year. I think, you know, when you try and find out what, um, an identity of a team is, you know, everyone can say, Oh, we want to be, we want to be physical. We want to be fast. But I feel like with this team is you want to play games the right way. And I know that sounds really cliche, but everything you do out on the ice, you better do it 
to your fullest. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a situation where every single night, whether you win three, two, whether you lose, whether you win big or, or lose big, you want your opposition to know that you just play the Cyclones. And I think that's the biggest key for this team right now is gelling together, working well together. I mean, obviously there's areas to be improved. We've only played 10 games. So, you know, we've, we've got a whole 62 games left in the season. So, I mean, nothing is anywhere near close to being finalized or decided but I, I will say that as far as starts go as far as how this team is playing as far as the consistency that this team is playing with I mean th- this is really setting up to be a, a really good um, at least first half of the season and, and hopefully into the next half well we look at this division and one thing Bernie John said uh, coming into the year was on paper this looks like the most balanced division in the league you obviously Toledo's had a really good start as well. Fort yeah. Wayne is always there. But you've got six teams battling for four playoff spots, and it really looks like there's not a whole lot of separation between these teams. And uh, certainly we've got two of them meeting uh, a couple of times this weekend. How yeah, how do you see things as you've seen uh, a lot of the teams so far in the uh, Central Division as well? Yeah, no, I, I think you're pretty bang on there. I mean, I – I don't think, and you guys know this probably as well as we do. I don't think anybody is, uh, having any moment of silences for, uh, moments of silence for Fort Wayne starting out, what, two and five. Um, and I think we're all kind of enjoying that for a little bit. I think bit, we but I mean, awoke in the giant there because looking at them <laughs> at the last uh, few games, now they have, uh, the league MVP back. So, yeah. But, uh, but no, I, I think that, you know, I've said this before coming into the season, and, and I don't know if this is maybe a little bit of divisional bias, but I feel like whatever team comes out of this division is going to win the Kelly Cup. I, I just feel that the fact that you've got, for for the Cyclones anyway, you've got 12 games against Indy, you've got eight games against um, the Kalamazoo, you've got another eight against Wheeling, I believe seven we have against Toledo, and then we have 11 um, against uh, against the Comets. So, um, you know, a lot of, of games, a lot of opportunities to, to get ground, to lose ground, to get beat up. And, I mean, it, it's going to be a really tough division this year. And just from top to bottom, you look at this division, Wheeling is one and five through a league low six games played. I've seen this team play now twice and including two in the preseason, you know, or, or I guess plus four, uh, two in the preseason. So they, they are a team that is definitely not indicative of their record and, and they are, you know, one or two um, good stretches away from figuring it out. I think Wheeling's biggest issue is they had five games over the first three weeks of the season, whereas now they're about to have, I think, five games over the next 13, 14 days, something like that. So, you know, they're really going to pick up their schedule here. So once they get used to playing with each other and, and hitting someone that's not across from them on their team, I think they're going to be a much more impactful team. You mentioned Sean Sidlowski coming back. I think that's going to make them better. I think Indy, you guys, I mean, after that bad start last year, then you you go on a tear in, in the second half of the season to get to the playoff for the first time. I mean, only, you know, one place to go, and that's up for, for, for the fuel. So I, I think this is going to be a very, very tough and very, very balanced division. Everybody in this division is, is skilled and talented. And again, I hate to keep throwing out the cliches, but I feel like what's going to make or break the winner of this decision is going to be a, injuries, as is every organization. I think B, affiliation. I think that if you're a team like the Cyclones, if you're a team like Toledo that routinely gets a lot of quality, good players down from your AHL affiliate, that can only go to help you out. But as soon as Buffalo gets hurt, as soon as Rochester gets hurt, you're going to be pulling up guys from Cincinnati. Same thing in Detroit, Grand Rapids. I'm sure same thing in Chicago and Rockford uh, for you guys as well. So I, I think that's going to be the biggest factor, the two biggest factors um, in, in this division this year. Now, I, it's funny you say that because Sunday, I, I believe the Rockford or the Ice Hogs game in Iowa on Sunday, there were four players in the Ice Hogs lineup who had seen time in Indy already this season. Yeah. So we're, the, the fuel are definitely kind of um, – 
feeling the other side of the affiliation currently, but as we know, that that can turn a 180 really quick, and all of a sudden that, that getting, can change tomorrow. Because <laughs> it went it went quickly from uh, in training or right after training camp, you're you're looking around on the roster and saying that you have almost too many ser- or good serviceable players, and then all of a sudden yeah. you you're seeing four or five guys go up and like drop of the hat, and they could be coming back and. Once again, you have a surplus on your roster. Um, now, looking more into uh, this weekend series, um, it's a, it's been really fun to watch the Fuel and the Cyclones kind of build that rivalry. Obviously, yep. they're they're close uh, um, in proximity, so there's always kind of that regional rivalry. But now, looking into the last few years, um, it seems that every time these two teams meet, one, it's a competitive game, and two, looking into last season, every game has been meaningful in the standings. So yeah. I only see that ratcheting up even further this year and i mean it's it's only the second week of november and you're looking at the the central division standings this is a big two games for both teams yeah i think so and and even more so you look at the last two years between these two teams and two seasons ago i think the cyclones had a, a pretty obvious upper hand in the season series and then last season the table flips indy you know it, it you, you where the cyclones ended up i mean cincinnati could have easily been i think in that you know more of a conversation with full lane for that second place role had we not lost seven games i think to the indy last year so um you know and then this year you know indy gets off on a good note with, with the four uh one victory back on october 19th but no, I think this weekend series and more so than any other team that the Cyclones play, um, based off of this year's schedule, based off of this year's teams, I think it, it, this is going to be a first round, potentially first round playoff preview for, for the Cyclones in the field, either if it's one and four or even if it's two and three, uh, either way, you know what I mean? So, um, but no, I, I think this is, this is going to be a really good test for this team because the one thing the Cyclones have had issues with this season has been the second period. And the Cyclones, you've gotten off to a good start in the first period. The first periods have been okay. Uh, second period, that is where things tend to fall apart. And it, it, you always hear the, you want to play a full 60 minutes. You want to play a full 60 minutes, but <clears throat> there really is no such thing as a full 60 minutes in hockey games. Hockey games have ebbs and flows. You know, you can play a good, 20 minutes and then the other team will come out and play a good five and then you can play another good 15 and whatever the case may be but the big key is not letting that off time in that game turn into goals and I think that's where the Cyclones have had issues where this team will play a really good 45 minutes a really really good uh 50 minutes but rather than maintaining and rather than you know not bending but not breaking in that final 15 or 10 minutes that's when this team will give up a 10 minute stretch of three or four goals ultimately on all of a sudden now you're down third period though the Cyclones have shut teams down you're outscoring uh opposition 10 to 3 in the third period this year so um you know being or 12, I'm sorry, 12 to 3. So being able to, to put together good starts and really good finishes has been the bread and butter of this team this year. But I think where the Cyclones struggle, and I think this is where Indy in that first game took advantage of the Cyclones, was playing a really good second period, capitalizing off of that maybe mid-game lull uh, that you have in the second period. And then, you know, it resulted in, I think, two or three goals against in that period. Ultimately, Cyclones lost the game 4-1. And we talk a lot about roster construction and how to build uh, a team, and you want to have a nice core coming into the season. Yeah. And the Cyclones have a lot of familiar faces. You've got Jesse Schultz back, who's a playmaker, and Justin Vive, who is one of the premier scorers in the league. And then that number one defense pair of Canodal and Atwal that is really maybe one of the top shutdown pairs in the league. Having those guys and then bringing in a player like Brady Vale in the preseason and some of the other pieces that have been brought in, how does this group really complement each other as, as they've kind of gotten now a month into the season? Yeah, um, it, it, it's been good. And I think trying to, to mix in the, the Vive, the Schultz, the Vale, that's actually a line up top. And then mm-hmm. they've been playing really, really well. But then you have to also take into account the fact that you've got 12 affiliated players on this roster, including two goaltenders. So you've got 12 players from a Buffalo or Rochester contract trying to A, get all of them in. Uh, playing time, make sure they're playing at the right positions. And, and the example that I give is, you know, 
a guy like Judd Peterson. Judd Peterson has been playing some really good hockey on the wing. He's naturally a center. And the fact that this team has been winning uh, 6-2-2 this year, I think has kind of kept Rochester and Buffalo at bay a little bit. But I don't know how much longer that they're going to allow a guy like Judd Peterson, who is, you know, they factor, he factors into their sentiment plans uh, moving forward to play on the wing. So I think it's about trying to find some, uh, some balance with the lines, get that chemistry going the chemistry i think has come a little bit quicker um than maybe people would have expected but uh also this year the cyclones have already had to make a couple of really tough choices uh, in terms of roster movement you know you look at guys like jordan sims uh, another really good scorer the cyclones had a couple of years ago you bring back jordan sims but then ultimately um sims has to to get traded cyclones have already made four futures deals this year um so you know, next summer is going to be pretty fun when you see all the different mm-hmm. contracts the guys may, uh, the Cyclones may be getting. But, uh, but no, I, I think this team is coming together pretty well. And I think the fact that you have a really good mix of veteran ECHL guys like your your Vibes, your Schultzes, your Brady Vales, Dominic Zombo, you've got really talented young players um, from the American League level in uh, a Vosklotov, a Miles Powell. Um, and then you also have guys who are really good AH or ECHL players that were signed to AHL contracts to, to kind of help with your depth in the organization. And, and I'm looking right at Alex Weidman, a guy that you know very well over in Indy. You look at Alex Weidman, Eric Canodal, who signed with them uh, before last year, Arvin Atwal, who had a really good rookie camp with them two years ago and worked his way into an AHL contract now. He's on a full AHL contract right now with uh, with Rochester. So I think that you've got a really decent mix of everything you need for a successful team. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too ECHL heavy. Um you know, I do think it's going to be interesting, and, and, and you can knock on wood as much as you want, but it's going to be really interesting when this gets down to January and February when it gets cold, when you're in game 50, you know, and the injury bug starts popping up. And we'll see who's the first to go. Or if you have guys down here who keep producing, who keep playing, they're not going to be down here for long, forever. You know what I mean? So trying to make sure you get those ECHL guys, those depth guys, and have a plan for if and when that happens to make sure that you can kind of keep the ship maintained and, and, and keep winning and keep playing well without having to rely so heavily on those contracted players. Now tell us a little bit about what you've seen. He was on IR when the Cyclones came up to Indy in October, but what you've seen from Alex Weidman, who is following in his pro career like he did in his amateur career, going from Indy in junior to play college yep. hockey at Miami, just a little bit north of Cincinnati. Now, playing a couple of years professionally here in Indy and now uh, heading down I-74 to Cincinnati to play for the Cyclones. Well, you know, I, I feel like all he really did was switch uh, one jersey for another. I mean, I, I kind of knew what we were getting with him, and he's a guy, even back uh, when he was at Evansville, um, he was a guy that I've always liked in this league. Um, and I think the one thing that, I was, that I'm a little bit surprised about in a very good way is his playmaking ability. I mean, I've always, I've always seen him as a really good scorer. He knows how to, to get to the net. He knows how to, to, to turn on that burst of speed, you know, when you get to the, the half, the half wall and, and, and things like that. But he made a really good pass through three players of traffic this past weekend, uh, on, uh, yesterday, actually on Wednesday against Wheeling. So, um, being able to, to have that good vision on the ice, I wasn't really expecting that out of him. Again, not saying it's a, bad thing but um he really has that element to his game that um i, I think has gone over real nicely with the uh, the crew here in, in this in the team but um him coming off of injury obviously was a little bit of a concern from both an american league perspective because he was signed to rochester but also from our perspective because at one at, at start of the season our projected second line for the Cyclones was Miles Powell in the middle, flanked by Weidman and Sean O'Donnell. Well, you had Powell up in um, Rochester. You had Sean O'Donnell, who was signed to an AHL deal in Hartford. We've actually since traded his rights up to Maine. 
And then you had Alex Weidman, who started the year on the IR. So he missed, you know, a good couple weeks of the season. And it was kind of, well, do you ease him into it or do you just let the, let the dog off the leash, so to speak, and, and test as much as he could? And, and he's been doing a really good job. I actually asked him in practice today if, if he's, having any ill effects or if, if he's feeling, you know, anything. And he said, no, I feel a hundred percent. So being able to have that piece back in the lineup again, just adds another dynamic offensive piece to this team that already has a lot of offense. Now we'll see, obviously, like you mentioned, these two teams meet another 12 times this season. So there'll be plenty of time to see this whole series shake out over the course of the season, but um, yeah. switching gears a little bit. Um, I know from experience that, uh, the preseason time and for the ECHL front office is a pretty crazy time of year. But for you this year, um, it might have been even crazier than usual with uh, the having the opportunity to go up to uh, D.C. and calling a preseason game with the Washington Capitals. Um, Want to tell us how that whole um, little situation kind of shook out and what that was like calling a game in the NHL? Yeah, I, I think I'm actually still lightheaded from that experience. I mean, it was, uh, it was a very, very fun, humbling, um, amazing, exciting, nerve wracking, near vomit inducing experience. Like you could pretty much throw everything out there. I was feeling a whole range of emotions, uh, in the weeks and months leading up to it. And I mean, it, obviously it happened by chance. Uh, a good friend of mine, um, Zach Fish, who now works in Hershey with the Bears as their broadcaster PR guy. Uh, he and I used to work in the USHL together. Um, so him and I kept in touch and, and he was in South Carolina. Obviously the Capitals and, and, uh, Stingrays are affiliated with one another. So when we went down there, ended up meeting him, um, and then, uh, got an opportunity a couple of years ago. I went, um, out uh, to DC over Christmas, got to meet up with him, um, uh, job shadowed him for the day, took me up to the press box and, um, got, went to the game that night and, and he actually, you know, we've kept in touch and, um, he used to be the broadcaster here for the AHL Ducks, uh, in Cincinnati a long time ago. And he was also the PA announcer for the Reds right next door. So a little fun fact there. Uh, he actually told me that he still has the, uh, the microphone, the last ever, uh, out, uh, at Synergy Field. He walked back by the PA booth and the microphone was still on the wall and he pulled it out. So he's got the original microphone, uh, from the old Reds ballpark. But, uh, he called me up and, and he said that, you know, he's, wanted to give me an opportunity to to call a game at the at the NHL level and he does this a lot uh, the last couple of years he's you know helped uh, Jared Shaffron who works in South Carolina Zach Fish has done multiple games um a lot of other uh, AHL guys around the, the league and he's given them opportunities to to call NHL games and, and he told me he said you know I after I left Cincinnati I was in Hershey for 11 years and I get it or 13 years and I get it you know it's it's never fun pulling into you know insert town here I hate to pick on wheeling but it's never fun to pull into wheeling at you know three o'clock in the morning it's cold it's February and you're unloading the bus for the umpteenth time and you're questioning is this all worth it and and being able to get a little bit of a taste of of what you potentially have coming is something that if I can do for you and um, make that happen, I definitely will. So uh, he told me back in July, I want to say mid July, uh, right after the Cups won the Stanley, uh, the Caps won the Stanley Cup, and um, you know prepared like I would normally uh, for a broadcast, except I had to memorize two rosters and just kept telling myself, "You get paid to do this for a living, so don't freak out." <laughs> and I uh, went to DC and and got through the game. So it was, um, you know. I think that the months and weeks leading up to the game felt like years. And once I was actually on the air calling the game, it felt like five minutes. So, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun and it was, it was one of those things that I'll definitely never forget. And that's the, the ECHL. We mentioned Matt McDonald getting the call up to the American yes. hockey league. And you've mentioned Zach fish, uh, going from the USHL and Dubuque to South Carolina to now, uh, being in Hershey, this is really about being a developmental league for not just players, but also coaches and broadcasters. You look at the number of NHL broadcasters that got their start in the ECHL. Yeah. And obviously, you know, that's a path that, uh, that a lot of us are looking, uh, looking at and uh, certainly hoping, uh, but, you know, kind of looking at that, what was the experience like to call a national hockey league game and, 
the feeling of doing something a little bit differently than what you've done at, say, in Cincinnati or in Fort yeah. Wayne or some of the other buildings that we work in. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, going back to your original point there, I think that's something that needs to be kind of expanded on a bit. I don't think a lot of people realize just how um, just how much leagues like the ECHL, like the USHL, are for so much more than just players. You've got officials, you've got coaches, equipment guys, broadcasters, salespeople, PR folks. You've got so many different people in AHL, NHL front offices who started out in the USHL making 20 grand a year, starting out in the ECHL, you know, working for, for long, long, long hours and, and having to do PR, social media, broadcasting, sales, marketing, corporate. Now you get to show up at the rink and call a game every day. You know what I mean? So a lot of folks, uh, you know, don't realize that, you know, it's great to see a success story, you know, like a Scott Darling who went through Cincinnati and went down to the SPHL and battled all types of demons to, to now being a, a Stanley Cup winning goaltender. But then you also don't realize the the coaches, the officials, the everyone else in this league who does it. So I think that's a really good point you brought up. But um, I think for me, the biggest uh, doing that game in D.C., I think the biggest uh, – difference for me is the fact that I really didn't have to do anything. It was I, I I literally showed up and I called the game. I had my own producer. I had a intermission host. It was like going back to college again. You know what I mean? So um, you know, I think that was a little bit different because for the last, let's see, year in Youngstown, now three years here. So the last four years, you know, I'm my own producer. I'm my own uh, broadcaster, board op, uh, all that stuff. I write in the recaps obviously. So, um, you know, Know, being able just to to get back to doing just the broadcast, I think was something a little bit different. Um, something that I was I was really concerned about, and I know a lot of broadcasters, I'm sure Andrew, as you know, is that you know we're used to being in, in smaller venues, so we're not up on the sixth floor in the press box. You know, we get a pretty pretty good view, you know, around the 200 suite level, but being up on the sixth floor at, at uh, Capital One and um, I think I, I'm very, very lucky to have worked here in the Central Division because outside of Fort Wayne, you don't have a whole lot of places in this league where you're you're that high up. So I kind of drew back to my my games in Fort Wayne and, and how you, you decipher and determine jerseys and who's who. So I think that was the biggest adjustment for me was being able to do it at that height. But again, like I said, it wasn't that much of an adjustment just because I'm so used to it with Fort Wayne. But um and then obviously you have to learn two entirely new teams and with it being preseason, each roster's got 80 guys on it. Buff or Boston had two whole different teams because at the time they were over for the, um, the, the classic over in China. Um, so you had all the big guys over there, but they left a few guys back here. So trying to figure out who's going to play in DC and who's playing over in China. So it was a lot of different things, a lot of different moving pieces and parts for both those teams and for the game. But, you know, ultimately, like I said, I, th I think it was, you, you treat it like any other game, even though clearly it's not. Uh, but I think that's, that's really the only way to kind of keep your sanity, I guess, about this whole thing. Uh, and you look at opportunities earlier this calendar year, uh, you had the opportunity here at the ECHL all-star game in Indianapolis to uh, work on national TV in, on NHL Network as a, as a sideline reporter, essentially yeah. in the Pierre Maguire spot in between the benches. <laughs> and even though you didn't have to know, unlike Pierre, every single hometown and every uh, every peewee team of every player, uh, yeah. uh, Pierre is great, by the way. But uh, <laughs> but you uh, but what was that experience? Just being able to do something different than being up in the booth uh, up top instead being at ice level, having the opportunity to call a game and, uh, and work on television. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, as much as, as much as I enjoyed the Capitals broadcast and, and as, as amazing and as, you know, unbelievably unbelievable <laughs> that is, as that experience was, I think I was more nervous personally. I was more nervous about the all-star game appearance for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're on TV. Um, I'd never been on, on TV before other than some local area morning shows here. I do some video work, um, you know, with our game day previews here in Cincinnati, but as far as calling a game on TV, I've never been on camera in that stand-up role uh, before. Also, that was that was the first time since I was in college, um, a junior. Nope, 
a yeah junior in college um, that I had been a color analyst, that I had been anything other than play-by-play. So you see the game in an entirely different way. Play-by-play, you have to fill the time. And, and you know, you know, obviously you know everything surrounding the game and surrounding the teams, but you can also be saved a little bit, I guess, with your play-by-play. Um, but with, with the sideline report, with the color analyst, I think that's the hardest job because you have to come up with the storylines. You have to, you know, keep the folks interested. I, I think the job that we do is the easiest of the two jobs. I, I think being a play-by-play guy is easy. You know what I mean? Being a color guy, that's the hard part because you have to fill the Pierre Maguire role. You have to know every little detail about every player, whereas as you're the play-by-play man, you know, you want to know as much as you can, but I think it, it's it's almost impossible to get to that Pierre Maguire level of knowledge as a play-by-play man unless you work for that certain team. I can tell you everything about our team, you know, the Cyclones from our players, heights, weights, shot, where they're from, that kind of thing. But when it comes to other teams, like we play Utah one time, it's going to be near impossible to, to gather all of that information for Utah as an example to, uh, to, uh, excuse me about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Got a phone call coming in. Uh, it's going to be, it's impossible to have all of that information, um, to, to be able to present. So I think it's, it's was really good experience for me to be able to get back in that role again, um, and to, to experience on a different side that I wasn't used to. Well, uh, with the evidence of the the phone going off the hook over there, uh, we are recording this during office hours, so we'll we'll let you get back to uh, preparing for a couple big games this weekend. But Everett, thank you so much for uh, hopping on the phone with us and chatting about um, season series and everything going on in Cincinnati. And uh, we'll see a lot more of each other as the year goes on. Not a problem. Hey, I really appreciate the opportunity, guys. Thank you so much. And we want to thank Everett Fitzhugh, the voice of the Cincinnati Cyclones, for joining us as we preview the weekend series between the Fuel and the Cyclones. One point that Everett made was that the second period has been a period where the Cyclones have struggled. That's actually been the Fuel's best period. They lead the league right now with a plus-seven goal differential in the second period, and when they win, it's been even more stark. 16 goals for and just four against in the second period of those five victories for the Fuel this year. And in the Kalamazoo game, in the Wheeling victory, the 8-4 victory over Kalamazoo back on the first week of the season on October 13th, and then Wheeling last Saturday night, they really helped break open a a game where the Fuel had been in a tight game early or trailed early. And there were other times, like, for example, against Utah, they really helped the Fuel get some insurance and turn what was a tight, maybe tie game or a one-goal game into one that... Uh, was a comfortable victory, and they were able to kind of batten down the hatches in the third period. That second period is so critical uh, as the uh, fuel have been really solid throughout the year, and that likely will be so again this weekend. Yeah, you definitely don't want to, I guess, rely on having to score five goals in a single period to come back and um, nice win a hockey game, but it, it's great when you when you get it. But um, like we said before, I mean, it just it shows you're looking at kind of evidence or your offensive power and offensive depth and just being able to put up those big numbers in single periods. Um, they're the only team to do it twice and not one of two teams to do it at all score five goals in a period. And uh, both have come in the second period. So it's definitely, um, and they, in each of those cases, they've showed the ability to, to kind of rein it back in because the, the danger with playing in such a wide open pace, like you've seen in some of those games is, you don't want it to be a complete track meet and win a game 8-7, which we've seen a couple of those here in uh, Indianapolis the last few years. But um, in both those cases, the Kalamazoo game and last weekend in Wheeling, you see a team that's able to come back in the third period and kind of shut the door and kind of play a lot more. I mean, you're not necessarily going into a defensive shell because that's you can argue that that's not the best approach to kind of hold on to a lead, but they're able to come back and play more of it in control and kind of lock things down defensively and hold on to the lead that they're able to get with scoring quick goals in a short period of time. Well, this Saturday night we have a pretty cool promotion. Pucks and Paws coming back to the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. 
And there's a lot of uh, cool things that are coming as we have uh, not just the humans coming to Saturday night's game, but also their uh, canine friends as it's Pucks and Paws night. We'll have a few dogs in the house as well. It's gonna. It's one of my favorite nights of the year for sure. Um, it's the second time or the second year we have actually opened it up to having fans being able to bring their own dogs to the game. Um, if you've never been to a hockey game with a couple hundred dogs running around, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, it's gonna be, and I think this is. Uh, we're expecting a pretty good crowd this Saturday for pucks and paws. So. We're really excited to not only just see everything going on, but the atmosphere is going to be so much fun where if you have like a lull during the game, um, during action, you just hear kind of a, a steady din of, of barking and just excitement. So um, it's definitely, if you've never checked it out, this is a perfect time to come check out a game. Um, for this one, if you're interested in bringing your dog to the game, visit uh, IndieFuelHockey.com backslash pause. Um, that we have a, a special Pucks and Paws ticket package where you can get one human ticket and one dog ticket for $20. So um, otherwise, all we after the Utah trip, we come back with uh, three home games in four days um, around Thanksgiving, which will be a, a fun week and a busy week on home ice. Uh, we got Friendsgiving on, on Wednesday. So for all the everyone coming home from college or work and you don't want to spend so much time with your family quite yet. Just come out to the game. We'll have some drink specials there on Wednesday night. And then uh, Friday night, we come back with uh, our Black Friday game. I think um, arrive early and you'll you'll receive a free blackout T-shirt. And then Saturday night is one of the most exciting games of the year. It's our Marvel, our Marvel Superhero Night. And this year, I know last year we've um, the fuel dressed up in Hulk-inspired uniforms. This year, it's all about Guardians of the Galaxy. It is the matchup that everyone's waited for. It is Groot versus Rocket Raccoon. So the fuel will be wearing Groot-inspired jerseys, while the Kalamazoo Wings will be uh, wearing jerseys with a, a little raccoon guy on it. So it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, you got Star Lord, Captain America, and Black Panther will be at at the game so um bring your family get pictures with the characters dress up in your best superhero costume it's just going to be a lot of fun so once again uh you can grab your tickets by visiting indiefuelhockey.com or by visiting the indiana farmers coliseum box office well the indy fuel on the road this weekend on friday night at cincinnati november 9th and then saturday november 10th at home against the cincinnati cyclones and then they'll travel to Utah for three games next Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday before that three-game home stretch on the 21st, 23rd, and 24th of November. Lots of opportunities to come enjoy Indy Fuel Hockey. All the road games on ECHL.TV and all the home games as well, broadcast and audio on IndyFuelHockey.com. And we're really looking forward to seeing you at the rink here on Saturday night and then again three times over Thanksgiving weekend. Brent, your final thoughts as we wrap up episode three of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. I think we're getting good at this. Uh, no, it's been it's been fun um, a lot. It's been fun seeing a lot more hockey in a short period of time after just having a couple games each of the first few weeks. And uh, it'll be exciting to see kind of uh, the team take that first long road trip to Utah and with how exciting that that first game was last week and how kind of physical and uh, there was some snarl to that game. So seeing those three-game series, uh, you definitely see some of the animosity come out. And um, hopefully, I mean, obviously it's a big two-game weekend with Cincinnati um, immediately on the horizon, but um, a big stretch of games for a team that is looking to stay at the top of the or near the top of the pack in the Central Division. Well, we want to thank Everett Fitzhugh for joining us on Under the Hood as our guest this week. For Brent Hollerud, I am Andrew Smith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here at the rink. Thanks for going Under the Hood with the Indie Fuel. For more, keep visiting IndieFuelHockey.com.